people of the podcast, well, welcome to stage three and episode four of the Cycling Tips Tour Daily Podcasts. Now, we warn you, it is it's about ten past, quarter past ten here. We're nowhere near the race anymore. We've just eaten dinner, so the food's in our bellies. Blood's heading that way. We're tired. Could be a bit of a lethargic podcast, couldn't it, Johnny? Don't say that. We're, we're <laughs> full of beans. We've had a couple of beers. Ronan, full of beans or full of beers? Full of spa- pasta. <laughs> Ronan's close to cracking, but I think his uh, German carbonara has revived him and he's raring to go. Go on, Ronan, where are we? We are on Erdkampswig in Hamburg. Outside and, well, I was going to say nice Italian. We're outside an Italian <laughs> restaurant. It is nice Italian. It is nice. La, la Trattoria it is nice. Italiana on Erdkampswig. We've got Hamburg. empty plates. Yeah, so you're not getting you're not getting the colour of the audio noise from the tour today. It's miles behind us. We've drove two hours from the stage finish to, well, right next door to Hamburg Airport because tomorrow everyone jumps on a plane and well we actually split up, don't we, guys? Yeah, it's the last the last pub with with Shoddy Dave. It is. Oh, hopefully I'll be back. I've got a house to move, not a house to move. I've got a move house. You know That's what I mean. That's easier than moving a house. Anyway, let's crack it into today's stage. No one wants to hear this preamble. Actually, just before you do, one point on the sort of transfer that we've just made. We actually, how many team buses and team trucks and vehicles of the tour and the tour caravan, the the publicity caravan that goes in front of the tour, all of that had to drive from Zonderberg, where we finished, to Dunkirk in France, uh, where they start on Tuesday morning. That's, That's a good... 11-hour drive, if I remember right, because I googled it a while back when we were planning how we would get from Denmark to France, and it's it's a heck of a drive these uh, vehicles have to make, team staff have to make, but on top of that, the team bikes are all travelling by van, also as immediately, as soon as the riders finished today's stage, mechanics were busily packing vans and trucks and uh, getting all the bikes in there to get them driven to Dunkirk for, not for Tuesday, but for tomorrow, because the riders will want to ride them on the rest yes. day tomorrow. Yes. So there was whoever's setting off in those vans, and there were staff that I hadn't recognised from the rest of the week. But whoever's setting off driving those vans tonight, they're probably driving all through the night. It immediately makes you feel better about the transfer that you have to do. I, it makes me know. feel worse for feeling slightly cracked tonight. <laughs> 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 I haven't got that bad a job really? when I'm sitting uh, eating carbonaras at ten o'clock we're in Hamburg. We're not made like the tra- those truck drivers. What, what a lot of people won't realise is that at the finish today, sat outside of every team bus was eight suitcases, all packed, ready to go, because the riders will finish the race. Their bags were packed, the, they were ready to go. They were. They were leaving on, on a jet plane. They literally did, didn't they? <laughs> Washed, got their bags and then left on a jet plane straight to um, Dunkirk or Calais. No, Calais or Lille today, they flew into. There's two uh, chartered flights. There's one chartered flight for riders, staff, um, the, basically the professionals uh, in, in terms of racing. And then there's another chartered flight that has ASO staff, has some of the press, has some... The good press, you know what I mean? Well... well when we yeah. say good press, the ones that are... There was the press that didn't realise that if they got the chartered flight, they would be leaving at 2am from Sonderburg, flying and landing in Calais at whatever time, and having no rental cars to pick up or no taxis to get, and having to walk to whatever hotel they were staying in. It was presumably... A long, long way from that airport in the middle of the night. It's not just it's not just the team buses. It's amazing to see them pack up everything to get away. 
The, it's the motorbikes, isn't it? We walk past the motorbikes, Rona and I walk past the motorbikes, and they've got these double-decker trucks loading on the... 40 footer trucks, container trucks. Yeah. With just getting the motorbikes loaded into the back of them one at a time, side by side, two levels full of them on this truck. It yeah, was whether it's the police motorbikes you see at the race or the ones that dish out the water, safety ones, it was in TV ones, they were all there getting loaded onto this double decker. You, can't, you kind of think that if you go to a race in Denmark, that it's local equipment and local vehicles and that that you're going to see used, but it's actually the same vehicles and same equipment that we're going to see in Dunkirk in two days time. It's also the same, obviously the same ASO staff for the, the people who like manage the press, manage the riders, but the, the guys who stand on the gate into the, the press parking, mm -hmm. the guys who you have to tap your pass every day to enter the press room, it's the same guys there, so you walk in, you know, you say bonjour to them. Yep. They, so they ship them all over to Copenhagen to then bring them back to France, it's, you know, it's crazy. That, and I initially noticed that when we were in Copenhagen, the night of the team presentation, so that's last Wednesday, and there was a barrier off area for the team buses to park on, and the security guards at the entrance to the cordoned off section. So it's, it's basically just, you know, like keeping the public out. Yeah. But those security guards are the same security guards who will be following the whole tour and who were here last year as well. You would think, you know, that job yeah, might would. go to a local, but no, actually they've flew people in there, shipped people in there, Respect, yeah. Yeah. And it's the same faces year in, year out. It's an it's an addictive environment to be around, even when the stage isn't that excited like today, eh? So what happened, Johnny? Run us through today's stage. It wasn't a classic. It was a final day out in Denmark, though, which was nice. It's nice to have a, a final long, flat one to just say goodbye to, to a foreign grand depart. And Copenhagen and Denmark have treated us really well. It has, yeah. Us, the riders, the fans, they put on a real show. Even if the racing, to be perfectly honest, hasn't quite been there but magnus court the dane who worked who rides for ef education easy post he has provided some entertainment few pedal strokes in today he went on the attack he was surprised that no one followed but he carried on because he wanted those three king of the mountain points out on the course because then that means he's got six which keeps him in the jersey hopefully until the cobbles on stage five because on stage four they've got four six category four climbs where there'll be six points total i don't know what happens if there's a tie well the if, if another rider was to win all of those points yeah. and they were tied on points then yeah i don't know what happened because they would have the an equal number of of wins was so magnus courts all fourth category claims yeah. I'm, I'm assuming then it must come down to gc at that yeah. point because uh, how else would you separate eight minutes down i think yeah but you so. again i haven't looked at gc but and i'm assuming if you look at it now it's always surprising how early in the race actually a lot of guys have lost yeah. a lot of time because they do their job and they get out of there so it's no guarantee that somebody else who might win all those points or be allowed to go in a breakaway wouldn't also be 8, 10, 12 minutes down already. But yeah. Um, I, keeping on Magnus Court for a minute, we'll get to the rest of the stage. But uh, what the what Charlie Ogalia said after the stage is that uh, to keep the polka dot jersey, the team, it won't necessarily be Magnus Court again on stage four going up and flogging himself out front, picking up the points. The team are going to make sure that they get in, the rest of the teammates get involved and they'll, they'll, they'll balance it. They don't want to burn all their matches on protecting an early polka dot jersey, but all, they only need all to need one. They yeah, need to exactly. one, one, one category four climb. Um, but the funny story about this whole polka dot jersey journey of Magnus Court is that he took the idea to his sports directors the night before the stage one time trial and was like, I've had a, I've had a think. And 
this is something I kind of want to do. And it'd be quite cool because I'm on home roads and it'll really like light up the race, get us some early, really good publicity. And it worked and it's been amazing. And he's been celebrating reaching the summit of, of these climbs. He wore his Crocs on the podium. I did, I did check the, the, the Getty photos. I'd be discussed this today on the Instagram live at the start. And I'm still against the Crocs, but I'm also, I also think they're probably a bit better than them fake cycling shoes that they used to wear. Like oh, trainers man. that look like cycling shoes from a few years back. You didn't then. say that, did you? S sorry? You didn't just say that, did you? Oh, I remember, like, I can't remember what shoe sponsor we had with Ampost one year, but they also made, like, podium shoes. And we were given those for... No, sorry, we weren't, but we wanted those. For, for, <laughs> but for did, they, did they know what you were going to do results-wise? Is that why they never gave you well, I never needed them, but <laughs> I, I would have worn them on a daily basis. You know, it's, trainers with bow dials, what more could you ask for? Like, But um, actually, we did get a we did get a pair of proper casual shoes from the same supplier, and, and they were pretty cool as well. They were like they were like retro cycling shoes, but they, they blended in when you when you were out in public. They weren't quite like a pair of cycling shoes with a flat sole. <laughs> Or well, Crocs. Well, Van Aert was wearing some horrible yellow trainers for his podium. Did you see them? They were really... There's like two shades of yellow on a, a white sole trainer. It was bizarre. Sounds but, like a clash. Well, and then with the jersey and all that. Well, not the yellow one, the Yumbo one. It to was, be fair, so he hasn't gone all out with the, the yellow. If, I think, you know, if I, certainly if I got into yellow, I'd have a yellow bike, <laughs> yellow wheels, yellow tyres, yellow... I, I think I'd paint my eyeballs yellow. Uh, my teeth are already yellow. Uh, so... <laughs> Should we crack on with the rest of what happened today? We shall, I think so, Johnny. All right, so Magnus Core finally relented. I think I he definitely sat up at one point because he wanted to save his legs. We were travelling and all over the place today, so I'm not sure the maximum gap, but I think it was quite a lot, but he didn't do a Tango van der Horn where he then decided to really see if he could make it. No, he, he didn't, and kind of... I guess when you're out there, you have two options. You can, you can, you can either... We've well, got three options. Uh, the 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 last option is is the best one where you won the stage like Taco Vanderhorn did yeah. in the Giro last year and many other riders have done also, but the number one option that most people take is that they try to survive as long as possible and ultimately destroy their legs for God knows how long. I often think about riders who go on these doomed breakaways at the start must pay for it for you know considering the day after day of racing yeah. they must pay for it for the rest of the tour. Uh, Magnus Court today, he decided I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do what the peloton want me to do. I'm not going to sit out here and and be the be the um, the, the sacrificial lamb for for you know for TV and for yeah. just to keep the race in check and all that. He just basically sat up and went back to the bunch and surrendered his lead because he knew he wasn't going to survive on today's profile. And yeah, saved his legs for another day. Well, that's it. The, the, them sort of breakaways are purely for TV coverage. They, they very rarely go to the end. And EF have got the TV coverage that they've needed. He must have been savvy enough to know that. Yet yeah, it was never going to happen. Because speaking with Michael Matthews this morning, he was saying, what with there being that extra rest day on the Monday, the past couple of days and the next couple of days after the rest day are all faster than they genuinely are. Uh, at a grand tour mm. when they don't have that extra rest day. Yeah, well, oh. yeah, Wout Van Aert was said in his uh, press conference after the stage that he's not he's not sure how he's going to react to to this travel rest day. It's the first time he's done it. He's done one this early in a grand tour, and that when he arrives tomorrow, he will or arrives tonight and wakes up tomorrow, he will go out for a pretty hard ride because he needs that riding in his legs to keep him going, so he can keep getting his second places, which we will get to in a bit. 
that's that's right. Because I was speaking to John Degenkolb after, and I was saying, how how's how's the form going? On? You've obviously got stage five. You're looking forward to. And he was saying, like, the legs aren't great and having a day off isn't going to do me any favours, really. Which is a surprise, you think, these guys. They've been here since Tuesday. Yeah. Rode the bikes, done all the press stuff, done all the, the testing that they need to do. Raced. And then the, you think, oh, maybe they like, might like an extra day off. But no, they want to keep on going. Yeah, so then the the rest of the stage, it was, it was your typical flat tour stage. I mean, they haven't really raced in stages two or three really I mean yesterday we did we had the bridge neutralising it it wasn't as hectic as we thought and it sort of felt a bit like the Giro earlier this year when they were in Budapest and there wasn't there wasn't like proper racing as you maybe people wanted or expected and at the time a colleague uh, from another publication said yeah they never really raced these these foreign grand departs and in some of them they don't race because they're at least in Budapest and, and in Israel at the Giro previously they're not sure about the roads they're not used to them but I wouldn't you wouldn't have thought that would be the case in, in Copenhagen where where maybe you trust sort of northern European roads more, and there's you have a lot of Danish riders in the peloton who know them. Maybe there's more road furniture because it's so bike accessible to to non-racers. I, d- I don't well, know. We did see a bit of road furniture about two kilometres to go into the finish today. There was a the the peloton had to separate because there was yeah, barriers in the middle of the road. But yeah, it's an interesting point. It'll be interesting to see how they admit we have to wait 365 days or whatever it is, 363 yeah. days maybe. For it to start in Bilbao next year when the tour has a grand depart there, because obviously them roads would have been raced and rallied on at the tour at Zulia Tour of Basque Country, uh, Classic of San Sebastian. They will know the roads there, so it could be a completely different ball game there. Well, I can I can understand that, and it, it could well be the case. But also, I know that Mess Pedersen won a stage into Sonderburg in the Tour of Denmark last year. Yeah. Um, so. You know the, these roads have been raced on previously in Tour of Denmark, pretty big, pretty big race. A lot of these teams, a lot of these riders would have been here previously, yeah. but I think a large portion of it is down also just to the parkour and the weather that we've had. You know, with it being such good weather, and with the wind not playing ball for anybody who wanted to see some Echelon racing yesterday, that meant that there, you know that that possibility was removed, yeah. and without without you know really. Without weather influencing the race yeah. yesterday and today, it's very difficult to influence a race on on a parkour like this. And certainly, no teams are going to you know, try to force the race when there there isn't really anything there to fight with. You know, there there isn't the weather to use. Is basically what I'm saying. Have we seen the weather? The, have we seen the wind kick in in a different direction yesterday? The direction that the prevailing winds normally blow in in that region yesterday. We, we could have seen a complete, or we would have seen a completely different story, and not because the teams want to, but because they're forced to in that situation. Exactly. If the weather had been wet, it would have, it could have been an absolute bedlam the past couple of days. But luckily, we've had that week of summer that the, the Danes claim they have every year at exactly the right moment. Just one more interesting thing before we get to the results, John. And I appreciate we've interrupted your recap of the no, race we were, here. we were trying it out. We were making it as long as today's stage. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> I, can, I can help you make it a little bit longer okay. there. And that, interestingly, Quinn Simmons, we, talk, we talked about Magnus Court leading mm-hmm. the, the KOM competition now, and there's nobody else on the scoreboard for the yeah. KOMs yet, so he's pretty safe in that position, except Quinn Simmons, who is on the points uh, except Quinn Simmons, who is on the scoreboard for the King of the Mountains competition, on minus one point. 
Uh, so how, it, <laughs> how does that work? Well, he actually he got a fine today uh, for off-roading, if I understand correctly. And I think, well, we've seen. Maybe you can explain what he what he did on the stage. I, fi- I this think is, this it was is exactly the point when you two legged it out of the press room to get to the start. I oh, was okay. I was faffing about with my cameras and stuff. Still, you two ran ahead. I think it must have been about a good twenty kilometres to go. There was there was an overhead shot of the peloton, and he just came up on the left hand side, on what realistically was just sort of like a dirty, dusty part, bit of grass, gravel that split the road from a bike path over a, a pavement. It didn't look particularly no weird, particularly dangerous. He did go really from sort of 30 40 guys back to probably about 10 guys oh, so seven guys he to took the an front. advantage yeah. maybe rather so than just got yeah oh bit. no okay. he moved up he intentionally oh, moved right. up. okay but it's it's surprising that they've actually yeah, well he didn't he didn't just stars. get he got he got dark points in the mountains classification but looking at the communique from the commissaries tonight he got fined 500 Swiss francs and also 25 uca points and uh, now trek Segafredo aren't exactly no. concerned about 25 UCI points. They're not in that position at the moment. Um, but uh, he also got a fine of 20 seconds uh, and 40 penalty points in the points competition. So it was he may have mo- well moved up quite considerably in the peloton, uh, but he took a hefty uh, penalty for it. Uh, you know, all things, all those, cons- all those combined. Yeah. It is quite a. Quite a strict ruling from it's the an commissary. Specific yeah. punishment, isn't it? And I, bet yeah, I think it's it's almost like it's making an example. Like we're not going to tolerate this in this year's yeah. race. And ultimately, I don't think Quinn Simmons is going to lose any sleep over any of these no. fines. <laughs> and you know, it it could well have helped his his teammate Maz, Maz Peterson. Yeah. Maybe you know, so worth it. Yeah, it, 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 he it's. It's like a, a professional foul, let's say, <laughs> where he, he he probably didn't realise in that moment that he was going to get fined for it if it was, as you were saying, Charlie, not all that bad, but still, it's something you're not allowed to do, and he's he's been... They've thrown the book at him. It's his first Tour de France. He's still only, what, what 21? So he's still very young, isn't he? Yeah. Let's yeah. have a Google. Well, he was 18 in 2019, so that's 19, 20, 21. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's still very young. It's his first... <laughs> Everything's going wrong here. <laughs> Series kicking in and all sorts. It is his first grand. It is his first Tour de France, and he is only what probably about twenty-one now. Yeah, around that. Yeah. So he's still young, f- foolish, learning the ropes. Indeed. But he did do it, not not blatantly on TV because it was an overhead shot. He wouldn't have known they were getting that shot at the time. Like if it was a motorbike, a side-on motorbike shot. He might never have got picked up by it, and the UCI might ne- have never have, or the ASO would have never have thrown any points at him. He was in good spirits this morning at the start because um, Rigoberto ran from EF. He rode past in a big Viking helmet with a hammer to he celebrate did. Magnus Court's uh, King of the Mountains Looked jersey. Looked like Ford, didn't he? It was just being Copenhagen. It was mad, and then he rode past, and Quinn Simmons turned around and was like, "I should be wearing that." Because at the moment, Quinn Simmons has a really big, blonde Viking beard. It really, you know. It, me at 27 makes me feel really bad about my ability to grow facial hair. He looked, he actually looked like that Viking uh, guy that was walking around. There was a big cartoon character Viking oh, yeah, I did marching see him, yeah. about. We'll get the picture up Charlie, on the Charlie was fighting with kids to get his photo taken with this Viking. <laughs> well, yeah. he, he basically like beat away two kids who wanted their photo taken with the Vikings just so that he could get a 
a photo. We you were know, in a rush, though. I'm sure they got it afterwards. <laughs> you know, the other thing about, just quickly about, we will get to the end of the stage, but the other thing about the Copenhagen fans is, while uh, the EF sports director said that the fans have been very well behaved and they've been impressed by that, when we were walking around at the end of stage two, it's, there's a lot, it's, it's, some parts are like a football crowd. There's like larger men with their tops off just drinking cans. We had, we, went, we stopped at a petrol station yesterday. I had to remember which day it was yesterday. And it was just past midday and there was sort of like 50 year old woman with two massive cans of beers, like sculling them in the, in the shop. So I, I didn't then, really expect that had, from Denmark. We had the incident as well with a kilometre to go on yesterday's stage as we were driving into the finish before the race got there. Oh, yeah. And we were, we were, we were on course with about a kilometre to go and we had a fan throw a, a skull of beer can and then yeah, throw yeah. the beer can into the middle of the course. And our own Johnny Long got out of the car, picked up the can and got a rupturous uh, applause. I did, from, you made from, me do that, though. I was happy. You should have, it should have been I, you. I was going to get out, but then I was driving, so you jumped out. I was, I was very uh, mortified. And the, the main thing is that we did the right thing. We picked up the can that, that could have been a, a potential hazard on, on the race course uh, soon after that. But actually, I was struck yesterday by... It was about an hour after the finish that I was leaving the, the team paddock, and I was walking back to the, the press centre, and... There was the the mess that was left behind was just insane. It was. What do you think? Oh, it was the the, the ASO staff were clear were rounding up the barriers and packing the trucks and taking down all the uh, accessories that make yeah. the final kilometer of the Tour de France and that and just the mess that was left behind by there was there was thousands of people there in fairness, but still there was like beer cans everywhere. There was uh, there was all sorts of rubbish. There was I don't know I cannot explain this, but there was. Seven or eight packets of frozen peas. I was literally <laughs> going to say that. That I saw that yesterday. Yes. I was walking back. There was, and there was like seven, eight. Five, I don't know yes. if frozen peas are like a, a snack in Denmark or what, but there was, there was a, there was a, there was a mountain of frozen peas yeah. that were just dumped on the footpath where the fans had been watching, and just before that there was actually, you know, the peas in the pod that you get. There oh, was yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those pods that have the peas inside them. There's a good fifty of those just scattered all over the floor as well. So there was some big pea fans there yesterday. See, I was gonna say I would have said the opposite because I walked back a bit sooner because I just got my quotes and ran back to the press room, and there were people like packing up all the rubbish, and I was like, that that's a, that is what I imagine would be a very Danish behaviour. So that's, yeah. a, that's a shame. We're yeah. revealing the, the real. It was, uh, it was very striking. Though. I, I had stopped at the... The drive through was closed and Carl Jr.'s as I was walking back to the press centre, but I knew we were under pressure to get yeah. stories written and get a podcast on that, so I grabbed, I walked up to the drive through and it was served uh, on foot. <laughs> three burgers and three fries. Um, so I was, I, was, I was held up a bit further, and by the time I got to that, that same section that we both walked across, the, the mess was just... It was like something you would expect to see in Glastonbury or something, not a Tour de France stage. Right, should we get to the end of the stage? That would be lovely, wouldn't it? I'm sure people, that's what people's come here for. They don't come here to hear about our Carl Jr.'s escapades. <laughs> right, I will, I'll run down the oh, final result. They might have. I'll run down the final result and then, then we'll discuss the sprint a bit. So, first place in stage of the Tour de France. A man that people weren't necessarily tipping. People were a bit unsure on his form. Maybe on his team, he's not. It's not necessarily one of the bigger teams, but Dylan Groenewegen roared back to victory. He's had previous victories in the Tour de France, but you know Fabio Jakobsen won yesterday. Who was in the Tour of Poland crash that you know nearly cost him his life. And the other sort of main actor in that whole incident was was Dylan Groenewegen, and he came, he won ahead of Wout van Aert 
in second, White Knight's third second place. But White Knight does get six bonus seconds to move him further clear of Eve Lampart in the yellow jersey competition. Third place in the sprint was Jasper Philipson, came up on the left-hand side late on to snatch that. Fourth was Peter Sagan. Fifth was Fabio Jakobsen, who got a bit caught out on the, the final corner and lost his lead out. Sixth was Christoph Laporte from Jumbo Visma, White Knight's teammate, who kept on sprinting after his lead out was done. Running through the last four places of the top 10, Alberto Danese of Team DSM, Hugo Hofstetter, Rakesh Samsic, Caleb Ewan of Lotto Sudau, and Danny Van Poppel of Bora Hansgrohe. On Groningen, I suppose, yeah, he, what was he, eighth on stage two? Uh, and then he was in, just inside the top 10, and he obviously won today's stage. But going back a bit further, I think he's flown under the radar because he hasn't exactly done he, this, the sprinter's calendar leading into the Tour de France. He's done the Tour of Slovenia, where he won the only real sprint stage. Uh, I think we looked over that because there wasn't the, the biggest sprint field there, but you can only beat who turns up. And then he did Criterium de Dauphiné, which... Again, the sprinters messed up a couple of stages in that yeah. race this year, so who knows what way that might have gone. Um, but before that, you know, we had Tour Hungary, Tour Hungary, uh, Paris Nice, and that. So he's he's definitely been flying under the radar. None of us were really tipping him, but it was an impressive sprint that he did. You know, initially I thought that uh, Philipson was the fastest in today's finish, but when you seen the overhead shot, then Gronewegen did. He really did do an excellent sprint. He he came from you know came from maybe second or third row in that final two hundred meters, and you know. He definitely didn't win it comfortably because it was a very close photo finish. Uh, but he certainly he won it on merit, um, and yeah, he was he was obviously very uh, overcome with emotion immediately after the finish. And you know, he was on the opposite side of that tour pole crash. Mm. You know, he was handed the blame for that crash, and although didn't suffer any serious and long-lasting injuries like Fabio Rackinson did, I'm sure it's also been still playing on his mind it's it's the kind of it was kind of incident that nobody can really just walk away from unscathed like so yeah it's um and i'm sure there's plenty of people who are maybe not best pleased to see him winning today but credit to him he left jumbo visma to get himself a chance at riding the tour de france again he's got back in and on his second opportunity at the tour de france he's won a stage that incident is unlikely to escape him throughout the rest of his career that's you know that's that's just the way it is after after the race, Fabio Akersum's quotes were, obviously he was asked about Gronewegen winning. It's, it's the question that gets asked. He said he used to, you know, really admire and look up to Gronewegen, but now that's that's not really the case. And he's like, it's, it's just how it is. There wasn't there wasn't really any malice necessarily in the quotes, but he was just stating facts. Like, yeah, he used to be some guy like I looked up to because he was he was winning all those big Grand Tour stages, the Champs Elysees. But that's that's not the case anymore. And he's like, well, you know, it's not like I congratulate him, but I'm not. I don't, I don't wish I didn't see him winning. But then the reaction in the peloton was, a, it did seem a bit cold afterwards to his victory. It's it's really it, it, it's really sad that this is happening to him, that, that there is that sort of negative vibe thrown in his direction. Because we have been down the route before with talking about that situation at Tour of Poland and how the course was a, a large factor, the, the running to that, that that finish was a large factor of the the crash, not just the riders. So, yeah, it's sad that we're hearing these stories that people aren't not being particularly happy for him or praising him as much as if it was somebody else who'd won mm. the stage. There, there was a point, of, you know, a few years ago before that crash, where you know he was considered uh, he was going to be yeah. the next yeah. top sprinter 
you know, in the World Tour Peloton. And since then, he, he really has never reached those levels again until today, I would say. You know, that's his, his first time to get back to winning at, at the very top level, not just at the Tour de France, but, you know, at, at that higher level in, in any race. He hasn't really been there since. So, you know, he's obviously carrying... I think he broke his collarbone or something in that incident mm. as well. So, um, you know, the, the actual physical injuries wouldn't have been hampering him over the last couple of years. But I just wonder how much the sort of mental baggage of having caused that crash has has stayed with him. And, you know, ultimately his job is professional bike racing and he has to, you know, as a sprinter, if he's not winning, he's not doing his job. So, you know, it's... It, I don't think we can hold it against him yeah, forever. Sure. Like it was, it was, it was clearly a mistake. It wasn't an intentional thing. So, um, I, I was sort of, I, I was, I was thinking I was going to say I was glad to see him win. I, I don't even think I was glad to see him win. I'm just indifferent to seeing him win. He's yeah, not a, he's not a sprinter emotions, who, isn't it? Uh, he's not a sprinter. I would have been delighted to see win before that incident. But it's, it's complicated. Isn't yeah, it? it's complicated. I certainly did not see him win today and think, oh, that's a, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a. a uh, upset to see him win today. I think he's 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 served his time, and as far as you know, having to make up for what he for what for the mistake that happened on that tour pool on stage. As I said, I was speaking to Michael Matthews earlier, and he he said not just the team, but Michael Matthews himself is all behind him for the sprints. Matthews mm -hmm. says, "If I get my chance, I get my chance, but we are all behind him." So it's nice to hear that as well. Yeah, and it'll be, you know, not to go too far down that path, but it'll be interesting to see just which stages Michael Matthews picks as his chances. You know, he's there, he, he won the green jersey a few years ago, but he's certainly not at, on the upper echelons of the, the fastest sprinters. He, he needs to find, you know, a more difficult day where he can survive when the other sprinters don't. But even on those days, he's going to come up against White Van Aert, so... Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to That's see. Just to go up against, isn't it? <laughs> speaking of White Van Aert, he speaking today. He's he's saying he's getting closer and closer to the stage victory because no, he's not. Trial, he's been in second three times. But, but <laughs> you can't get any trial, closer without winning. It was it was it was seconds. <laughs> yeah. Stage two, it was Second. same time, but you know there was a gap, and then today it was a. Uh, thank you very much. I think the restaurant's no closed, guys. It is, but there's still tables out, and there's a guy over there. So I think we've got enough time. We to, got we, we to, can to sprint to the podcast. end. And then today it was obviously a photo finish. The other, the only other point I'll make from the sprint is that Caleb Ewan sort of got boxed in, got a bit. He, he was just in the wrong sort of position to contest the sprint. He banged his handlebars, very frustrated. He zoomed down the buses straight onto the Lotus Sudal bus, a, a perfect dismount and up the stairs, and then. As far as I saw, and I was told by one of the Lotus Sudal staff, is that he would not—he didn't seem like he'd be coming out. Maybe he did come out, but there was, certain fr there was certainly frustration on his part because it just doesn't seem to be going around that team, and the vibe around that team in the minute is—it's—it's not—I wouldn't say bad, but it's frustrating. I think I think there's big pressure on Caleb Ewan in this Tour de France. You know, he—he he is their best chance at a stage one, and it's a team that is struggling uh, massively for for World Tour points at the moment, and a team that. You know, is uh, I think they've secured a new sponsor for next season, but yeah, still, yeah. still, no. They need to secure their World Tour status. But well, uh, they've secured a sponsor for next year and lost a sponsor because Lotto isn't sponsoring next year due to new Belgian rules, where um, basically you're not allowed to advertise a gambling product or company. Well, you know, and that's uh, I, I think there might be an exception made for Lotto and and cycling, but if the Lotto name 
the, the Belgian lottery name disappears from the Peloton. That'll be a, a big change to get used to, given how long they've been involved. But, you know, still, the team will be under a lot of pressure. Caleb Ewan's probably under a lot of pressure as well, considering how well Arnaud Delay, their new young sprinter, Belgian sprinter, is, is going. And, yes, he was never really in the running for uh, Tour de France selection this year. But if, if Caleb have not won a stage in the Giro and now doesn't win a stage in the Tour... Uh, it, you know, if it goes that way, it's very early days to be saying that. But if if it's a bad tour for Caleb, I'm sure he'll be feeling the pressure of you know a, a new young sprinter on the scene in his team, who most certainly next year will be challenging to go to the same races as Caleb's planning to go. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops. Well, so far it's three grand tours for Caleb Ewan and zero wins. I mean, it's early days, but he didn't win at the tour last year either because he crashed out early. Yeah, so and the pressure. But talking this morning, he was like, "I don't really listen to the criticism." I've got the team's backing. It's all that sort of stuff. He's like, you know, I don't care what people say. He's just, he, but he does have no op- other option but to focus and believe that he can do it and that, you know, he can get back to being one of the fastest guys. He probably, maybe he's still one of the fastest guys, but it's not going right for him. Yeah, and he was very frustrated in the sprint before he even got to the bus today. He was sort of, he, he wasn't really blocked by Sagan, but his, the route that he chose to try and reach the finish line was up against the barriers, and Sagan had already chosen that that route a split second earlier, and it effectively closed the door for for Caleb Ewan. And you know that, that paired with the fact that he was he just did not feature in yesterday's sprint finish. Um, the the longer those sorts of either miscalculations or unlucky decisions continue, the more that pressure will grow. Uh, and the same with the, the rest of the teams. For as so long as they go into this tour without a stage one, you got to think it's going to get more and more difficult for them to, to really turn it around. And, you know, as, as you heard today, the, the atmosphere within the team is not great at the moment, and that doesn't really tend to to lend itself to, to someone stepping up and delivering a, a massive result either. They just put, after the bus, they're putting a brave face on it, you know. When they're outside warming down and everyone can now stand outside, they've, they've got to put a brave face on it. It's when they go back inside the bus that that they really talk about what went on. One all already within the top 10 that I noticed there was uh, Dainese, I think he was eighth place on today's stage. And again, just as I was queuing up for the Carl Juniors burger yesterday, I noticed Dainese, so this was a good hour, possibly more after the stage finished. Dainese came riding himself through the finish line in the wrong direction. As they were you know, taking down the finishing gantry and, and everything else, the road had barriers all over it. He was weaving through the barriers, weaving through trucks and forklifts and all sorts. And ripped bags to pieces. Of peas. And bags of peas. He was he was ripped to pieces. He came down in the crash on the bridge, but as you know, he had, had a lot of road rash. He's still wearing a skin suit that was pretty ripped up as well. And I just sort of wondered, you know, where is he going? Presumably, he was going to get medical attention or something. But when I was at the Bahrain bus earlier, the the medics had come over and said, "Does anybody need attention here?" So it was very weird that he was still on his bike, still in his kit, still in his race shoes, still had his helmet on an hour after the stage in a pretty bad condition from a crash that he'd had. And then to see him pop up and get top 10 today again, I, I, I just thought that was yeah. worth a mention. That, it's impressive, really. Because yeah. if, if anybody hasn't been to a stage finish before, the rise are quick, like quickly yeah. on the bus. Like it's gone. Gone in the way. that like You'd be amazed at how quick... The team buses are packed up and everybody's... It's like within 20, 30 minutes, yeah. everybody's leaving the race. just wonder maybe the Team DSM sent them back out to ride the bridge again and do it correctly this time or something. <laughs> Anything goes to that team. Okay, before we go any further with any more tour chat, shall we, dove, shall we delve over to the Giro Donna because we got another daily diary from Leah Thomas. Today was a rest transfer day, but... Tomorrow's going to be a punchy, reduced sprint, we reckon. 
So let's find out what's been going on from Leah. Hi everyone, um, this is Leah Thomas from Trek Segafredo. Um, we have a rest day today. Uh, normally, I think that would be great, but um, our hotel is uh, quite an adventure. Um, they only have smoking rooms, and when you turn on the shower, brown rust water comes out. So um, we have a little bit of a downgrade from the beautiful hotels we stayed in um, the other days of the week. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we're here two days. Um, so that'll be an experience. We can leave it at, at that. Um, the air conditioning does work, though. So that's a huge bonus, I have to say. Um, so we're at a rest day. We had a really easy morning. Um, I slept in till 930, which I will take as a bonus. I'm not the best sleeper inner. So um, it's great to have roommates who, who sleep and I can kind of follow their schedule a little bit more. Um, and then had a swim picking for breakfast. Um, the mechanics and our chef and everybody um, just arrived from the ferry and are getting everything set up. Um, we'll have a light lunch in about half an hour and then we'll head out to ride um, this afternoon to try to keep our legs open. Um, for I think all of us, this is the first time to have a rest day in the middle of a 10-day stage race. Um, you know, like with the tour, the men have the rest day and they kind of like have figured out what works for them and what doesn't work for them to keep their legs open. But for all of us, this is a brand new experience. Um, tomorrow's stage is, is pretty hilly. So um, I think we really want to make sure our legs are ready to work um, tomorrow. So that's the main objective for today. Um, after we ride, we'll come back, have a massage, um, see the osteo um, and just kind of relax. Um, so yeah, the duo so far has been really great. It's really great to have Aliza in yellow or in pink. And um, it's been fun working with the team these last couple stages. Um, on a personal note for me, um, I'm struggling with my neck and, um, and pain that associates with it. So um, it's been a little bit of a frustrating couple days, uh, but even despite all that, I know I can still be a helpful teammate and um, contribute. And so that will be my goal in the upcoming days. Um, and hopefully things get better after today with the rest day. So fingers crossed, I'm gonna keep chugging along here and doing my best and that's really all I can do. Um, but it's great to be here, spirits are high and that always makes things a lot easier. Before we go any further though, I am going to do the daily ad read because, well, it's Trek today. You've probably spotted it by now, either on Cycling Tips or on TV. The new Trek Madone SLR is here and it's Trek's fastest road race bike ever. That's why the men's and women's Trek Siegfriedo team will use the bike this month at the Tour de France and... Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Believe it or not, Trek have found aero improvements all over the place, both in the frame and cockpit and in rider position. 
According to Trex testing, the Numadon SLR is a massive 19 watts faster at 45 kilometres per hour than the previous version. It's also the lightest Madone Trek has ever made. If you want to know a bit more about the bike, which I'm sure you do, visit trekbikes.com to see the new Madone SLR. And I'd like to say a massive thanks to Trek for sponsoring today's Tour Daily Podcast. Thank you, Leah. Now from throwing over to Leah with the Daily Diary. We've we been thrown out of the restaurant, haven't we? We have been thrown out the restaurant. We've been f- the um, Italian-German guy give us the nod, said, come on, lads, I want to go home. I want to get back to bed. So we're now stood outside some parking lot. And is that a travel agent's? I think it's no. a pharmacy. It's a pharmacy, pharmacy yeah, but at least we're getting an opportunity to check out the local uh, bus service that we're probably going to need to get to the airport in the not too distant future. A few hours from now, we're going to be trying now. to hop hop across to the airport. So, um, yeah, we're 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 doing a recon of our airport run in the morning. We are indeed. I think it's time for us to get a move on, get back to the hotel. Believe it or not, even though it is something like eleven. 11.30 at night, we're not drunk, we've been struggling to get an out a beer here in Germany. We've had one each, haven't we? Me and Ronan yeah. did have two. You had a, you had a rhubarb juice <laughs> had a and rhubarb. the waiter had to check that they still had it because he, he's never seen anyone order that in about 10 years. I've never seen anybody all. over the age of five order it. <laughs> Do you think that was it? I think it was. Okay. It, was it was impressive though that in the German menu, Charlie managed to pick out the most random It was rhubarb dusk or something like that and the guy was like, sorry, what's that? Yeah, it was impressive performance. Okay, now shall we do some picks? Not for tomorrow because it's a rest day, of course, but for the Dunkirk stage, stage four. Yes, and we should shall also we? remind people to play the the fantasy the fantasy game on Cycling Tips. We go to cyclingtips.com. You can play the fantasy game. I'm remembering to do my picks every day so far. I've really? placed every day. Yeah, I've, that's actually the thing I'm proudest of this tour. Uh, but my pick for the Dunkirk stage, I did put it in. Who did I put it in? I put in Wout van Aert. Well, I think he's finally going to do it. I so I forgot to make a pick today. Uh, yes, I did. I have to confess. But so long as I haven't been automatically assigned White Van Art, I will also be selecting White Van Art for Tuesday stage. Tomorrow's the rest day, and I'm going to be making my picks for the rest of the week so that I don't forget. At least I have someone picked for the rest of the week. I'm going to go wild. I'm going to go Sagan. Love it. Sagan was very annoyed in the finish today. It would, uh, for no, no for no good reason, I think, because Wojtfarner didn't really close the door. If anything, the wobbly barriers seemed to close the door on Sagan. But he was annoyed. Did seem to be like he had plenty left to, to go give him back and go back and replay it, people, because you can see in mouth a word that sounds very much like bar stool. <laughs> well, also Wojtfarner said he couldn't hear what Peter Sagan was saying to him. So I don't know if that was true or whether he was just rubbing in that he won. Well, he came second and finished ahead of Sagan. I don't know. We w- no, we don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Wojt has time tomorrow and the rest of it, he can look back over the replays and he'll clearly see what Peter Sagan said to him. Indeed. Okay, then, people, that's it from today. Thank you for struggling to get through this like we have, I'm sure. Uh, we will be back, not tomorrow, because we're having a rest day as well, but on stage four. And we're actually throwing it over to a bit of a new crew. Kaylee will be here. Mickey will be here. You two are staying on for... Well, Ronan, you're staying on still stage five. You're the madman here, Johnny, who's doing all of it. Unfortunately, I'm here for all 21 days to get used to it. It's not even 21 days. It's not even three weeks. It's four weeks when you consider the the pre-tour work. Um, But the good news is there's only three Sundays to go because we've just finished today, Sunday. 
that makes me feel better, I think. Okay, thank you for listening and goodbye.